Let's Talk Books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. It's episode number 14, and my guest is Tank Baird, an avocational archaeologist who's been studying local history and prehistory for the past 12 years. Many people know Tank from the annual 9-11 ride. This brings thousands of motorcyclists to the region to memorialize the 9-11 tragedy. He's the president of that coalition, and he organizes the ride each year. I met Tank at a public archaeology dig, and he became one of my best volunteers, showing up for every dig and helping move a lot of earth. He joined North Central Chapter 8, our local archaeology group that operates under the umbrella of the Society for Pennsylvania Archaeology, and he's helped us move forward with that group as well. We're hosting local excavations, he gives public presentations, and we put on an annual artifact fair. Tank is also a frequent guest on Ted Saul's Sunday morning magazine talk show. This is on iHeartRadio, usually Sunday mornings at 7. And Tank is talking about local prehistoric Indians and also significant local historic events. He's really becoming the local expert on all things Indian. And it started that afternoon when he rolled into my archaeology dig on his Harley Davidson motorcycle. Some might call it obsession, but we can learn a lot about dedication and what it takes to research something you love from Tank. You can learn more about Tank and local archaeology in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Hi, it's Robin Van Auken, the wholehearted author, and it's episode number 14, and I'm speaking with my good friend Tank Baird. Tank, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me on. Well, now, you are a member of a local archaeology chapter that I'm also a member of. And in fact, uh, just so that right. listeners know a little bit of background about us, we met at an archaeology dig. Um, do you happen to remember coming to my archaeology dig? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the uh, it was a historic dig, and uh, it was the uh, uh, canal dig. There was a canal branch that came from the West uh, Branch Canal into uh, Muncie, and we were digging the uh, lock tender's uh, house and well, and and that's really where I came in. I my I saw an ad in the paper, and I'd always wanted to do that 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 stuff, uh, or it was an article, and they were asking for volunteers. So I uh, I drove my Harley down, and uh, I met you. I met uh, uh, probably Bill Polton was there, uh, and. Uh, and the first job that they gave me was uh, they handed me a short-handled shovel and wanted me to start digging the lock tenders well. <laughs> and, uh, of course, yeah, yeah, you can imagine. Nobody wanted to go down because of snakes and spiders and things. And it was a laid-up stone well. Uh, and uh, I think it was about 16 feet later. And that's over the course of weeks. And uh, I was actually getting to the point where I was concerned about uh, fresh air down that far. And, uh, but uh, we went down by ladder and, and, you know, but at one point I was digging nothing but mud and um, rightfully so they, uh, Bill pretty much called off the, uh, 
the dig. But uh, if you go down to that site today, you'll see a, a picture of me looking up out of the, the well in one, on one of the interpretive panels. So, uh, uh, and, and we had a Native American dig there. That was the first time I, I ever dug uh, uh, for artifacts in that respect. And, uh, and we've gone from there. That was in 2005, actually. So we've known each other going on uh, it's 13 years now. And you also joined the local archaeology chapter because you had such an interest um, in it. And eventually, um, I kind of persuaded you to become president. You were a great president. I hope you're <laughs> going to do that again. Tell me a little bit about well, your work yeah, with think. the archaeology chapter. In fact, you've got an upcoming Indian artifact fair. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, the uh, This is going to be uh, the third time we've had it at the Thomas Tabor Museum. It's going to be March 31st, uh, pro- uh, probably 10 o'clock. I, we haven't set the time, but I, the museum opens at 10, so we'll probably go something like 10 to 2. But we're going to uh, – we open it up to the community to bring their artifacts and their questions uh, about uh, Native American artifacts in. And uh, it's been very – very successful. We we did it two other times, and we we increased uh, uh, the crowd much more the second time. They're much more aware of it, um, and the community just brings these boxes of stuff in or an individual item, and they want us to evaluate. You know, is it is it an artifact first, and uh, maybe how old it is or how how. Uh, um, uh, you know, what, what culture made it, that sort of thing. So it's, it's very, very interesting. And and what's interesting about it is that I I kind of figured these people would come through the door, get their evaluation and then leave, but they all hang around because they want to see what else is coming through the door. And uh, many of them are surprised at the age of the artifact, the the projectile point that they have. Uh, Some are disappointed because it's not an artifact we get a lot of that. People think they pick up something along the creeks. It looks like a, an arrowhead or a projectile point, or it looks like a stone tool. And uh, it really turns out to be uh, uh, no. But uh, uh, we'll have displays and we'll have uh, uh, other uh, other people from some of the historical societies here. Uh, in so uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. We'll have Gary Fogelman, who is the uh, I consider him probably the foremost uh, artifacts expert anywhere, maybe on the East Coast, uh, author. I have a number of his books, and he happens to be a friend of mine now, uh, and he'll, he'll be there. And that's, uh, that's a big draw. A lot of people know Gary Fogelman. Now, he's also a flint napper, isn't he? Can you talk about what he flint is. napping he is? is. Flint napping is just uh, recreating or, or chipping a projectile point. And uh, it's an art. It was an art for Native Americans, and it's an art now. Uh, it's just, it's not an easy thing to do, uh, but I, I will say that the that some of the artifacts that we've seen, the fine artwork on on that for that point is just incredible. They uh, especially far back into the Paleo period, which is the first Native American uh, uh, period of time. Uh, Roughly twelve, fourteen thousand years ago, uh, some of those fluted points, and a fluted point is where they make a, a little gouge up through the the point so that it mounts cleanly on the uh, the shaft. Um, <clears throat> very difficult to do, and they chose uh, 
beautiful material. And a lot of the material is, uh, they're very nomadic. So a lot of the material comes that these points have been found here in Lycoming County. Uh, a lot of that material comes from two, three, four hundred miles away. Well, now you sound like you're pretty knowledgeable about this subject, but you don't have a degree in anthropology or archaeology, do you? This is something that no, you started no. teaching yourself as an avocational archaeologist. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey I, and some of the readings that you've done to get to where you are today? I'll tell you what it's been inside. I, I'm just, you know, when I started taking these artifacts from, from the earth and, and it continued, we were at uh, Muncie and then we started to hear in, uh, uh, at the, uh, near Canfield Island with a couple of, uh, uh excavations. And I, and I have just, uh, I was so curious about what I'm actually handling, who made this, um, how did they make it? Why did they make it? And, and, if you study this, you know that there's as many questions as there are answers. And uh, I started first to refer to what has been printed material uh, by Jim Bressler, by Bill Turnbaugh, by Gary Fogelman on artifact identification. Uh, you know, and and the cultures that have lived in uh, the on the West Branch uh, for thousands and thousands of years. People don't realize that that they were here. Uh, as early as as uh, perhaps fourteen thousand years ago, wow! And uh, and then there was a succession. Yes, there was a succession of of uh, cultures that uh, came into the West Branch, and they all left these these remarkable uh, time travelers, these remarkable little uh, projectile points, and and other tools, stone tools, uh, for us to um, uh, to wonder about uh, today. So. It's, uh, it is, uh, but, uh, it, it has, it's been a, uh, it's been a journey in that respect. You know, it started with my, uh, my love for these artifacts and then it branched off into, uh, Native Americans, the, their prehistory, uh, that, that we know about, um, their history, um, I have I've done a lot of traveling. I've been as far as the the Mississippi to to different sites, uh, Ohio, uh, and we, I've done quite a bit of of uh, research and and traveling of uh, of all to to f- find out about these cultures. So, what kind of books do we have about local people, local prehistoric people, things that you turned to in the past? You know, you know, not many. Uh, there's there's a, not an unlimited amount of material printed about local uh, uh, Native American uh, prehistory. Uh, even history gets a little scanty. But we, uh, the I think authors Bill Turnbaugh I mentioned, uh, Jim Bressler. They were early. I think uh, some of their work started in uh, in the seventies. And um, and then Gary's works, which are a little more recent, I think Bressler wrote into the 90s about different excavations. And, you know, I use those books a lot when I started. Uh, w- the primary cultures that you would run into uh, the, the, uh, while you're excavating, and that has helped tremendous as far as artifact identification. But uh, like I said, there's not an unlimited amount. Um, you, you can find earlier stuff, typically articles, 
um, newspaper articles and magazine articles that were written by people like Clark Kaler and, and others uh, that all provide uh, some information. But, you know, I really had to start looking outside uh, other, uh, other Native American cultures because a lot of the tools, a lot of the projectile points are very similar in other regions in the Northeast. And uh, I've, I've pretty much stayed primarily to the, my studies have, have been uh, primarily in the, uh, in the uh, Northeast. Uh, so the Iroquois uh, people? Yeah, I, the Iroquois, uh, favorite subject of mine, uh, the <laughs> Haudenosaunee. They, uh, they call themselves the Haudenosaunee. We call them the Iroquois. It's a French uh, uh, name, uh, yeah, meaning uh, people of the longhouse. Or Haudenosaunee means uh, people longhouse. The Iroquois uh, early on were just a pain in patoot to the to the, to the French uh, uh, the settlers that would be Canada or come and uh, become Canada. So it's uh, I started reading books like 1491 by Charles Mann, okay. uh, which was really a game changer for me. You know that just opens up your eyes to to how and a lot of that uh, his his uh, his topics are how they managed the land, how they were, and they did a lot with fire. They, uh, they weren't just here, uh, at least probably a thousand years ago or better. They weren't here just to live peacefully in the woods. They, they, they managed the land, uh, with fire and they, they were, uh, uh, agriculturalists. They were, uh, they built towns and they built, uh, villages uh, that we had longhouses here. Uh, we know that because there's there's evidence of, of that. Uh, so the pre-Iroquoian people were, were here. Uh, and then when this became by right of conquest over the Susquehannocks, when this became Iroquois um, a territory, of course, that's the, the historic period. Um, you can, I mean, I'm a great admirer of the culture, to the point where uh, I have some uh, acquaintances, some friends amongst uh, the Seneca Iroquois. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, and it just blossomed from there. I mean, with my travels and everything, uh, of course, that that's, uh, it lends itself to good um, speaking, public speaking. And that has been a whole other unexpected uh, addition to what I'm doing. Well, people are fascinated by this topic, and like you said, there's no written record left by these people. All they've left behind are traces of their past that can survive thousands of years like stone tools. And also, the, the books are very slim. There's no real comprehensive history. Um, but you've been doing a little bit about that. You've been uh, you know, reading and researching and talking to people, but you've also become involved with um, several WVIA documentaries. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with those and the people of the Susquehanna yes. River? And, you know, that, that was just, uh, well, I worked on a project uh, with Mo in Montoursville here uh, called Our Town. It's a WVIA, which is a PBS uh, station. Um they had they would take communities and they would uh, produce an hour long feature on the history and interesting people, interesting sites uh, within the community. And I worked on that project for uh, with Montoursville, and and I got the uh, the uh, nine eleven ride, uh, being president of of the uh, of the association there. And uh, they also uh, filmed the 
the dig site and interviewed me about that. And, you know, I took artifacts. Uh, Lisa Mazzarella is a, is a, a key figure. She's a, the, uh, the lady with the voice at uh, WVIA. And I would take artifacts even to the, we had the head, uh, the, the head shot uh, interviews. Um, and uh, she was fascinated. Even when we did the fundraising part of it, uh, in the studio, she had me come up and, and show artifacts because you're right. People are just, uh, just amazed at, at these, that they're still, you, you have, uh, clay objects, you have, uh, stone objects that are, that are still intact. Some of them look like they, they you know, they were made yesterday. And, um, so that really led into a project that I, I had a lot of fun with. Uh, it was a great learning experience for me. Uh, was the, the peoples of the Susquehanna River. Uh, WVIA uh, pr- produced that in-house. Uh, Chris Hendrickson was, was the director there, the producer. And uh, that over a year and a half, uh, they, they documented uh, not only the history and, and some of the prehistory, but, uh, but uh, also brought you up to date with the, with the Native American cultures like the Iroquois and like the Lenape. Uh, which is a part of it that I just I just loved. Of course, I didn't see that. I was just seeing what they were uh, interviewing me for and filming here. They were over here four times and um, shooting a lot of film, even with me on the radio on iHeartRadio. They were in the studio, so it was uh, it, it was a very exciting thing. And they happened to catch uh, me just when uh i had acquired an object that was found in the first archaeological dig registered yes. archaeological dig Let's in talk Lycoming about County. That. yeah you're talking yeah, now they, about the uh, rare native american effigy that you've acquired yes. this is something that you decided um needed to remain in the region so i'll let you go ahead and tell us the story about your most prized possession well, and that's um, it, that was part of this whole uh, the package that, that went to uh, peoples of Susquehanna. Uh, I, you know, they they filmed the dig site and they filmed uh, me intermittently, but but it was uh, it was the acquisition of this artifact. It's a it's a clay, a human effigy with freshwater pearl eyes for uh, inserts. And it, I had seen it in archaeological books when I first started. 13 years ago and thought that it was just the neatest thing that's ever been found here. And, uh, I, I still have that, that feeling, uh, but I'd see drawings of it and I was, uh, I thought, man, that would, to find that, to be the guy that finds it. Well, as I went, uh, when I became president, uh, I went to the museum and looking for it because I assumed that this effigy was in the museum because it was found by one, uh, by our chapter back in 1957. And, uh, they didn't know what I was talking about. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's in these books. Here's the drawing, you know, it's gotta be here. And they said, no, they don't have it. Well, through some detective work, I found out that it never made it to the museum. Uh, it's, it's such a, I guess, such a prize that it, sort of slipped into private collections. Well, um, and, and, and I'm not be, pointing any fingers. But. No, to be fair about this, in the 50s, um, archaeology was in its infancy. And in fact, it wasn't um, until 1948 that the first archaeology 
textbook was written by Walter Taylor. So in the 50s, you didn't have professional archaeologists out there in the field. I'm not advocating the collecting of artifacts. But what I'm saying is that, you know, these people who were part of this chapter, this chapter, North Central Chapter 8, was also in its infancy. And it was comprised of interested people, collectors, and I'm not surprised that it didn't end up in a museum. <laughs> well, that's and that's that's all true. I mean, if you look, we now have, with your help, we we now have uh, uh, historic pictures of that excavation. We have the original uh, report on that particular object. So it's very well documented. the The provenance is is uh, uh, is amazing. Um, it, it appeared in a number of, of publications and, uh, and then it was it just never made the museum. Well, Gary, I found it because I remembered a picture of it, not a drawing, but a picture of it somewhere. And it, uh, it was in one of Gary Fogelman's books, um, on artifacts. So I had an opportunity to ask Gary, he was retiring uh, said he was probably going to sell off some of his uh, collection, and I went, "Aha! What? What about this object?" Um, and he uh, he named a price, and I bought it. And uh, and you know, this could have gone out on uh, YouTube or, uh, or Amazon or whatever, and been sold off to somewhere out of the uh, country, maybe. But this artifact, belong, in my opinion. Uh, and I claim prehistory here, not just as Native American, but it's a, it's our prehistory being here in in uh, Lycoming County, and uh, so it could have been lost, could have been bought uh, elsewhere. But uh, Anita and I, my wife, uh, bought it, and um, so and it, it, it all happened right when the WVIA, uh, when I was contacted by WVIA. So in when they came over to film film the. Uh, the dig site, the excavation, they, uh, I said, I think I have something here you might be interested in because being a responsible collector and, and I don't consider myself a real collector here. I, I mean, I have a small collection of what I would refer to as reference pieces. Uh, you know, I have a fluted point. I have, uh, examples of, of all of the different cultures that have been here in the West branch. But, uh, uh, but being responsible was to make a replica of this. So yes. that, that data, in case something happens, the original, that data is with us, what it looks like, how big it was, uh, you know, the features on it. And, uh, and that was a learning part for me. I mean, I'd never seen that. And, and one of the local uh, pattern shops, Bossler pattern, uh, uh, Bosslers had volunteered to make a uh, 3d image of this using lasers, but they didn't have a laser. They felt it was good enough. And they called me one day at, at, while I was here at, at the work in my home office. And they said, tank, get your artifact and get over here. They had a salesman with a $60,000 handheld laser that they wanted to try some, uh, demonstrate the, the laser. And, uh, so I took it over and the rest is history. You know, we made that copy, um, and then the next phase was the, uh, uh, the, the Thomas Tabor Museum uh, volunteered. They, they wanted to put it in uh, on display. And I, you know, I kept thinking artifact, artifact, but they said, no, work of art. 
So they built a uh, uh, display case, and you helped me with with all that. We produced a video based on the uh, based on the uh, history uh, and and some of the prehistory of, of this this uh, amazing artifact. And you know, we put it in the museum, and and it's the first public showing of this artifact. And I, I couldn't be more pleased. Even the, even the feathers were a learning experience. Yes. Let's talk Putting, about because what it looks this, like. This was fa- Can yeah. You uh, well, exactly what first you think of all, it looks like and what it was used for. I think this was a medicine man or woman's uh, tool. Uh, this is unique in that it, it has those freshwater pearl eyes. It is made of clay. Uh, the features are very good on this uh, on this one. Uh, it has uh, uh, in the perimeter of the head there were holes drilled, and uh, they found feather residue in one of these holes. So we know that that that's what happened. They put uh, a ring of feathers around around the face, and so it was probably some sort of, of medicine charm. Or whatever. I've, I've I've actually been to the cultures trying to get feedback on this, but it, it would. I think it's almost like showing something from the Neolithic to a, a modern European. You know, it's, mm-hmm. they, they there's no recognition of that particular thing, um, but nonetheless, it's very rare, and you can see it on our website. Now, you think that you found one, a second one of these human face effigies. Um, Right. Nearby, maybe in another state. In uh, Franklin County, one of our chapters, okay. uh, the Society of Pennsylvania Archaeology chapter, uh, had found one very similar to this. So it had shell eyes. It has holes drilled for the uh, for the feathers. It's dated around the same time, about a thousand A.D. Uh, so, so we have a tradition. We have a uh, cultural uh, uh, belief here. It's, this was used for for something, uh, maybe healing. The feathers mean uh, generally within Native Americans mean prayer or or offerings to the gods. That's why they wear feathers. Why feathers are adorned so much of what they have. Birds are the messengers of gods. The uh, the uh, freshwater pearl eyes are mean purity. And this uh, this one is not as fine, uh, the facial feature wise, but now there's two of them found, and this one was found just five or six years ago. So, uh, and I, I'm still trying to link those two artifacts up. I'd like to have it, maybe even a little showing of, of both of those. And you think that this may have sat on top of a like a stick or a pole, and it was used in a maybe a ceremonial dance or ritual? Yes. In fact, I found a, uh, uh, out in Ohio country, I found a, uh, a similar object, finer made face that had feathers, related feathers that was mounted on a, on a stick. It's pictured with a shaman. They don't like, sh- they prefer medicine, man or woman. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, it could be. And in fact, I was in touch with the uh, Ohio State Archaeological Society we were emailing and sending pictures back and forth. Uh, I thought maybe that tradition came from uh, the Adena uh, culture, or I'm sorry, the Hopewell culture. And, uh, uh, and I, uh, you know, I'd seen this when I was out there and uh, they, they 
think it's an interesting concept. It's similar uh, use, or at least it's pictured as a similar use. So, you know, we have, um, um, it could be back that far, let's put it that way, but they're not making any, uh, any connections. This was found in relation to a mound. The village, uh, uh, the Brock Mound in Lycoming County here, uh, it was in the village that was in association, same culture, in association, association with that burial mound. And it was burial mound out there. So I, I you know, it's still an unknown, still an unknown. But it, it played a, a very prominent role in peoples of the Susquehanna River. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just saw it. They, they played it again the other day on WBIA. Very pleased to see it. I learned so much. You can't, you can't sit through one showing of this. Uh, I, it's reference material. It's a, it's beautifully done documentary. And speaking of reference material, what are your thoughts about creating something comprehensive for this area? Would you be interested in working on a book? Tell me a little bit about your writing and your thoughts about creating something for future generations. Most of my writing has been uh, articles and uh, things of that nature. Uh, we wrote that I had to write something for the museum to put in the display. Uh, but, you know, radio, iHeartRadio has been taking up uh, a, a large amount of any of my, now I read incessantly reading this, but we have chosen topics for almost four years now and uh, been on the radio, certainly not every Sunday, but uh, I'd say we've produced uh, probably 50 or almost 50 uh, programs. And, and that with the fact checking and, and, you know, I always approach the interviews like, like this, uh, it's a lesson and uh, they must be, you know, it's on Sunday morning, seven o'clock on uh, uh, Sunday morning magazine, but it's, uh, uh, I probably average once a month on, on that program. And that's a lot of work. That's, you know, I'm still working to pay the bills yet, but I, I should be retired next six months to a year. And, uh, then I might be, I, I'll, I think the energy, I'd love to see something like that. I mean, uh, on, uh, Kurt Carr has just produced uh, a book for uh, from the state uh, Pennsylvania State uh, Museum uh, on the first Pennsylvanians, and it, it, it's kind of a comprehensive book like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But but produce one for the West Branch Valley alone would be it would be some work. And and I yes, I'd be interested in sitting on a on a committee, a panel, a group to produce something like that. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a great project for your archaeology chapter. <laughs> it's, you know, everybody's busy. And, uh, in, and though, uh, I, this has taken, um, a, a, just a lot of my time, but it's so fascinating. You know, this, it just drew me in when you're talking about, um, ancient people, when you're talking uh, right up to present, uh, it just it's it's a fascinating subject when you get into the historic period with uh, with power and resistance. You know, you, you the European powers meet uh, the indigenous people, and it's it's a it was a clash of cultures, no doubt. And uh, you know, both sides. Uh, of course, uh, I, I'm also for the underdog, 
And uh, and uh, unfortunately, the more I read uh, about this, probably the darker it gets. But uh, nonetheless, they are survivors, and uh, and have uh, beautiful cultures to this day. Uh, the the Iroquois, the the uh, Lani, Lani Lenape would be the two main historic uh, groups that that we uh, that are still influential in our in our uh, lives in this part of Pennsylvania. What what's happening with the iHeart Radio show um, recordings? Are they also archived on a website so that people can access them? We have released a few of them to uh, to our website uh, right. www.penarchaeology.com.net. dot com dot net dot com yes and dot uh, com. I'm sorry, uh, but you will find some of those interviews there. And we're keeping a running uh, total. Actually, this started as a project with Ted Saul to uh, uh, record for posterity, and uh, and it's it's gone beyond that at this point. Uh, Ted is fascinated with the subject. Uh, you know, I, I basically have an open door there when I want to go on. Um, he he makes the space for me, and uh, this this last one we we tackled the subject of. Uh, um, uh, where there was some Native American uh, influence in that in that recording or in that program, but we talked a lot about the the present day taking down of statues and, and things of that nature. So it was a little controversial, I believe. Uh, but just uh, we just felt like going there and, and putting our our two cents out. <laughs> So now some of the radio shows that you've got on pinarchaeology.com are the Susquehannocks, the Mound Builders. You talk about Thanksgiving in the New World, and you also talk about the Montours, Madame Montour and Andrew Montour. Can you yes. tell me a little bit about Very the Montour family and, and your interest in them? It's it's that um, uh, her coming here in 1727 and uh, with her husband, Carrie Dewanoff, uh, he was an Oneida, one of the uh, uh, six nations uh, by that time of the Iroquois. They were five nations. They went to six nations with the addition of the Tuscarora, who were basically refugees from uh, the North Carolina area. Uh, colonial pressure got too much down there. They were Iroquois in speaking, and uh, and the the Iroquois uh, in New York. Uh, the five nations took them in as as a sixth nation, created a a, a, a part of a, a land uh, uh, grant for them. But uh, a fascinating period. Again, it was that contact period, the clash between of uh, of Canadian or or uh, uh, New France and the English and the Swedes and and. You know all of that. The um, the Susquehannocks uh, had just let's say sixteen. Yeah, they were they were just uh, forced out of Pennsylvania. The survivors went to Maryland. So the, at this particular point, the Iroquois were in charge of what effectively was Pennsylvania and and other lands. Then there's the Beaver Wars that, right after that that were a fascinating study with uh, in survival uh, by the Iroquois. So uh and and it's near and dear to anybody in Lycoming County. I think everybody knows about Madame Montour coming here. She was Mati. Uh she was a uh a, a negotiator, an interpreter, 
and she was very quite famous in her time. She, uh, uh, both governors of Pennsylvania and New York called on her for, um, for interpretation. And, and more than that, she was a diplomat. She understood both sides of the, of the coin here. So they, they came to her for advice. Uh, she was in a, a number right up until about, uh, 1744, the treaty of Lancaster by this time, uh, there were other, uh, parties, uh, that were doing that work, but, uh, she lived here. Uh, she had her son, Andrew, and, and Margaret, uh, daughter Margaret. And Andrew uh, is actually who Montour's, uh, everybody thinks it's Montoursville is named after Madame Montour. Well, no, it's named after her son, who in many respects outdid her, um, her, her deeds. He was a member of the Iroquois Grand Council. He, uh, he was very influential. He's a warrior. And... Um, uh, so this this Montoursville is uh, is named after him, and 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 rightfully he's uh, was was just such a personality in that day. Uh, uh, he, he he really kept the the uh, English out of uh, or the Iroquois out of the French and Indian War. Uh, his his influence was there, uh, so it, it, he fought Pontiac on on the Western frontier. So he's uh, uh, that's we have a, a lot of local history uh, in in that man. Now, right now, your group is working at the Glunk site, which is an archaeology site named in honor of the landowner Paul Glunk, and it is um, actually still in the village area that Madame Montour lived in. Can you tell yes. me a little bit about yes. the Glunk site and what you guys have been finding there? It is uh, within uh, Ostenwaken. That was the name of the village, kind of an international village uh, that she founded here. Uh, see a lot of refugees. There was Delaware here by this time. Uh, you know they were um, they were just getting stung by the walking purchase. Was which Pennsylvania is proud. They they put it out that they have purchased all their land from Native Americans. But the walking purchase, not so much. That was that was a land grab by one of uh, Penn's sons, uh, which effectively forced that whole whole culture into uh, into relying on the Iroquois uh, to come out up here and into New York to to live. Okay, so we're talking about the Glunk site. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about the artifacts that you found there and how interesting these unique artifacts are. The Glunk site's really where I have uh, I've grown up with with this whole thing. Uh, you know, we we've been digging there summers, and uh, this is well, thirteen years, I guess, in in the trenches. And uh, we've this is year I even forget this. I'd have to look six or seven for the Glunk site, but we were primarily uh, unearthing two cultures, which is the Clemson Island culture, which is the older and the Shanks Ferry culture. Well, we're supposed to call it, um, uh, the Stewart phase right now, according to the state museum, but it's, uh, there's two primary cultures going back to about 900 AD. And, uh, and we have some components of earlier, uh, cultures going back as, as far as, uh, 3000 BC, uh, the Brewerton culture and and a few others that uh, that we have some scant evidence for project the points that sort of thing, but in in um, in the strata 
stratified or st- stratigraphy, uh, uh, we have these two cultures, uh, one on top of the other. And uh, we found, the, of course, projectile points, stone tools, um, uh, a lot of pottery, distinctive pottery, which is how we can usually tell exactly where we're at. Uh, the Shanks Ferry produced one type of pottery. The uh, Clemson Island produced another. Uh, and uh, so it's and and different uh, different pottery at different times too. I mean, the Clemson Island people were here for approximately 400 years, so you're you're looking at uh, a lot of time that they occupied. And from what we can can tell, it was a pretty uh, uh, simple time, not a lot of conflict. But when land was beginning to be cleared, which the Clemson Island people did. They cleared a lot of land here. They kept it open with fire. They cut down a lot of trees for farming. Cleared land became a commodity and uh, an envy. And uh, for whatever reason, about 1300 AD, and I have my own theories about, about this, the Clemson Island people left and were taken over uh, seemingly immediately by uh, these, uh, whether they were invaders or just happened to paddle up the Susquehanna and realize that there was nobody here, uh, but the, the Shanksbury people or the Stuart Face people uh, came up from the Piedmont area and uh, and settled, and it, almost immediately we see signs of uh, fortified villages, moats, things of that nature. So, uh, the, and and really. Climate had a lot to do with that. This this happened all over America around that 1300 A.D. mark. They were on the march. They were on the move. Civilizations all the way into the West were falling and, and shifting and becoming other things. And, and I think uh, it was the start of the uh, uh, medieval uh, or the, the, the uh, uh, Little Ice Age. Little Ice Age, uh, yes. Temperatures dropped. Yep, uh, temperatures dropped, and I think it probably caused a lot of crop failure. There was a huge uh, body, a huge amount of Native Americans that that were dependent on agriculture by that time, all the way across the United States. And I think uh, because they had found maize, or they had maize uh, big time about 400 years before that, that was the big draw for for this culture. The Clemson Island people came out of New York. And, uh, and colonized down here, and they were here to to farm. And uh, so, uh, so you have those cultures. We know part of their their story, but there's a lot to fill in, and uh, and we're we're I think helping to fill that in. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Tank. Um, I know that I've kept you on the phone for quite a while, and we're getting to the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to talk about before we wrap things up? You've got so many different, Uh, (laughs) so many different interests, but they're all connected. And it just, and it just continues. You know, I I find that this is just an interesting topic. A lot of people are not just the Montours, but but they're fascinated with this. And it's it is creating an avenue for me to uh, to go out and talk to people. Uh, the peoples of Susquehanna continue. Uh, they're, they're doing private showings of this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to Tunkanic here in a couple of weeks to be on a question and answer panel uh, about the film. 
and uh, uh, I think it, it, it went off very well with with PBS, and uh, so it it just I'm I'm just pleased to be in this in this area right now. You know, I'm getting poised and ready for retirement, and I think uh, I won't be bored. Oh, I think I can find <laughs> things to do between traveling and and uh, the studies. It, it just uh, uh, it, it's just a big subject, and and you know uh, I I love the tackle. I like like to wade into it. And so people can come and meet you also at the Artifact Fair on Saturday, March thirty first at the Tabor Museum of Lycoming yes. County Historical Society. We think it's going to start around 10, maybe end around 2, because that's been the norm. We're um, Also, it's basically right. going to be been, an open uh, open house for archaeology. People can learn a little bit about our chapter, North Central Chapter 8. They can bring artifacts. They can look at artifacts. We'll probably have a table set up also for um, children to do some artifact work, maybe do some washing of artifacts, simple identification also. And maybe even a flint uh, napping. You know, plan on staying for a while. Yeah, flint napping. uh, But but plan on staying for a while because you just, it's like antiques at Roadshow. You just don't know what's going (laughs) to walk through that door. And I think that's why a lot of people hang around. It's it's, uh, fascinating. and, And I think we've done a, it's a good service to the community. Yes, it is. And we'll have refreshments there too. So that's another reason to stick around with us. <laughs> Donuts work. Well, thank you so much, Tank. But thank you for, for being my, my mentor. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Tank Baird and that it motivates you to start researching something you love today. I expect that Tank will start working on a book about local prehistory someday soon, and I guess I'm going to have to help him with it. It is kind of my fault he, you know, got obsessed with the topic in the first place. If you're interested in archaeology and Tank's local projects, visit PennArchaeology.com, and that's Pen with a double N, archaeology.com. You can find me online at robinvanauken.com. While you're on my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and other creatives, so sign up today. Check out the episode and the show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session 14. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye.